As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to the Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and this week I'm joined by Tom Dart, Stuart Robson, and from lovely downtown Barnes, it's Matt Dickinson. Today we'll be taking a look at Manchester United's victory over Bolton and Chelsea's win over Manchester City. We're also going to weigh up the chances of the eight sides left in the Champions League. So please join us for the next 35 minutes or so. All right, let's get going at Stamford Bridge. And I, and I want to start out with something that happened before the game. Uh, and you can read about it in, uh, uh, in Matt Hughes' piece today. Ron Gurley, who um, I know many people probably have no idea who he is because, um, he, as far as I can tell, he's only actually spoken out in public twice in, uh, in the last year. Once was when he signed Fernando Torres, and the other time was on Sunday. Uh, he came out and he said that um, Chelsea will be reviewing Ancelotti's situation at the end of the season. Uh, now, it seems obvious to me that they would be reviewing a situation at the end of the season, but... It also seems to me like it's sort of a counterproductive and pointless thing to say. Um, am I wrong on this, Dicko? Can, can, can you explain the logic you know, I, in I, saying I, I'm with you. It's, it's sort of foolishly candid. I mean, I've turned to someone else at, at Chelsea, and I, yeah, I, I think it, it is clearly honest. I mean, Chelsea review their managers' situations about sort of fortnightly. Um, uh, and, you know, at, at this stage, no one at Chelsea... Um, would say with any uh, certainty or confidence that Ancelotti will survive into next season. I mean, I think he should, um, and I think on balance he probably just will. But you know, it, all it takes is a couple of bad results for them to get knocked out of the Champions League, and um, everything's back in the mix again. So, you know, we know that's the case, but yeah, uh, Ron Gawley's clearly not helping the situation by speculating. I mean, you know, if I, if I were him, I'd have kept, kept, kept my mouth shut. Stuarts, what, what's the strategic thinking? Something like that. I'm not quite sure. It can't help the manager. It can't help the team. It can't help the fans. The one thing that the you know, by actually saying the statement, it, it means it, put, it puts the manager under pressure, and that he's thinking already about changing him at some point. Uh, can't believe it at all. Which, which, which I think the manager probably already knows. I mean, in mm. fact, I know for a fact that you know he knows he's judged on results. But it, it just seemed like something. You know, I, I'm all for candor, but. 
something like this out of the blue on the eve of a, of a huge game just strikes me as perhaps uh, he's had a couple of couple of glasses of wine before he was, he met the press and sort of said something he shouldn't have said. <laughs> I believe it's early it, in the morning for that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I believe yeah, it was well, that's a good time, good time to say it then. <laughs> Maybe he went out uh, partying in Attica the night before, and uh, you know we're he, still he going. He was up all night. <laughs> exactly. There you go. go to bed. <laughs> if there is, if there is, I mean, I'm, I can't actually possibly think of any sane reason for saying it. But I mean, if if there is a sort of motivation, is it maybe just to sort of distance himself from himself from the, uh, you know, a, a sort of put put the manager's uh, future at arm's length from him? I mean, to be honest, that's the, one of the troubles with Chelsea. There's an awful lot of sort of, uh, you know, Bramovich makes these decisions, and others are left to sort of explain them or justify them. Um, often defending the indefensible. Um, I'm groping desperately for any sane reason for Ron Gordy to say this, but I'm struggling, as you can tell. Well, if he wants to distance himself from the manager this season, he can also distance himself from the uh, double that Chelsea won last year. Um, but moving on to the game itself, Fernando Torres was Ancelotti's choice to start with perhaps a somewhat surprising um, partner in Kalu. Uh, no Anelka, no Drogba, which was the first time I can remember this, um, in, certainly in the Premier League. Um, Tom, didn't really... Did it work out? No, I mean, Kelly's looked better in the past couple of uh, weeks than he has so much of his Chelsea career, but Anelka has looked revitalised in the past couple of months and has played really well and uh, has done enough to be a first choice. So I'm not quite sure why uh, in the past couple of games Ancelotti's been uh, been putting him on the bench. Uh, it's all about Torres, though, isn't it? I mean, you, yeah. you've tried Torres with Drogba, you've tried Torres with Anelka. Let's try Torres with Kalu, and then if that doesn't work, maybe it's time to try somebody else in Torres' place. Yeah, but Torres with Anelka has been working, worked pretty well at Fulham. Torres just hasn't been taking the chances that, that he has had. It's uh, it's not a question of not creating enough chances, it's a question of Torres not taking them, whether by confidence or lack of uh, physical sharpness. Dicko? He seems to like, yeah, well, he's, Torres seems to like both of those. I mean, I, I have to say there was a couple of times when uh, you know, he was through yesterday and there was one time I think De Jong came, came in with a tackle. But both occasions, he was, you could just tell he was waiting for the tackle almost to take the responsibility off him. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't thinking, you know, I can do a great drag back here. He wasn't thinking, you know, I'm going to go for, uh, you know, really strive to get ahead. He was thinking, well, I'll, I'll, I'll take the corner. Um, and... and uh, as Tom said, I mean, how much of this is confidence, or how much, you know, this is a player who, you know, even at 27, is is struggling to regain the absolute sharpness. Um, I mean, you know, if, if it's, it's it's you have to believe at 27 he can get back to his very best, but uh, you know, we need to see the evidence. In, in the World Cup last year, he looked like he was wading through concrete, not running, and he still hasn't recovered that acceleration which was uh, such a great I, hallmark of his uh, success at Liverpool I think he's probably been handled badly over the last year and a year and a bit I mean Benitez obviously knew that if he wasn't fully fit and then the Liverpool fans kept saying he's got to play every time he's got to play every game but Torres when he's not fully fit isn't the same sort of player he needs to have that extra burst of pace and he's been playing games when he's been injured then when he has played he's, he's sulked at Liverpool he looked as though he was sulking when he was playing for Spain he, as you quite rightly said he, he didn't look as though he could run and once you start losing your confidence through lack of fitness it's just a, it's a vicious circle and you can never get it back and you have to go he's now got to have a good summer he's got to get away he's got to have a great pre-season and stay injury free at the start of next season and that's if he is going to get back that's when you see the real Fernando Torres 
I, I, I guess I'm in the minority here, but I actually thought he. Um, I thought he, he looked okay. I, I, I think he, he worked he worked hard. He made he made a lot of runs. Um, Do you think he looks as though he's enjoying his football? I think. All right. First of all, and this enjoying his football is kind of a pet peeve of mine. Hmm. Um, I don't see how you can look at somebody and tell what's going through their head. I mean, there's some players who play with a snarl on their face the but whole time. It's not just the facial expression. He's not around, is he? I mean, those, I mean like, exactly. those, those chances, he doesn't look like a guy who's thinking, you know, I am, a, I, am a, I am one of the great strikers in the world and here I'm going to prove it. He's looking like a guy, say, you know, he's making a few runs, but, you know, there's not, there's not that fizz, that burst that actually, you know, that, that you know, if, you, if you're even, you, know, you can know nothing about football, but look at a guy and tell a world-class athlete and he's just not, he's not even moving like that at the moment. Well, well what I thought was interesting was when he when he came off um, the reaction from from the from the crowd was was actually they wanted to keep him on the pitch um, and this is despite the fact obviously Drogba was coming on um, so it does seem as if the uh, the certainly the, the Chelsea fans are, are willing to give him uh, certainly more time and I think mm-hmm. from Chelsea's perspective they kind of need to because he just spent mm-hmm. 50 million um, on this guy here but uh, Hey, Tom, when when Drogba and Elka came on, um, was it a was it a different Chelsea, or was it more a case that by that point City's defenses had been worn down a little bit? Yeah, I think that I don't think uh, Drogba has not looked himself all season, uh, well, certainly since the malaria, and uh, I think he looks a player on the way out and uh, on on the wane. And uh, David Luiz is Chelsea's best attacking player in the past few games. He's uh, he knows where the goal is. He's getting up there. He's a great threat. And uh, certainly Ramirez has started to take on more of the attacking mantle as well. He's pushing on more and more, uh, not just to the defensive player he was at the start of the season. He's now being more ambitious and scoring a great goal. So I think the Chelsea strikers are very lucky that the team. Uh, other players are picking up the slack for them and uh, compensating for the lack of goals, especially from Torres. So the pressure is not on them as, it sh- as otherwise it would be if results hadn't been so good. What you're saying there, Tom, is that David Luiz and Ramirez, they're players on the up. They're players that have got something to prove. They're players that want to prove themselves to the Chelsea fans. There's a lot of other players at Chelsea that I think are playing at only 90%. And if you play at 90%, you're not going to be the champions. You know, you're not going to have that extra little bit about you that's going to destroy teams, as was happening right at the beginning of the season. Dicko, who's Stuart talking about when he talks about players who are at 90%? Read his mind. Uh, well, I, I mean, I don't think Essien's had, you know, for, for a player of a, you know, undoubted top calibre, he's not had a, a great season at all. Frank uh, has had his physical issues this season and, and is, you know, he's, he's, he's getting back to, you know, perfectly fine, but certainly not, you know, the, the, the top draw player of, of, of a year or two ago. Um, you know, so there's you know there's there's a, there's a, a you know there's a two key absolute key players in in, in midfield who you know can only be judged um, by their own high standards and they're falling short at the moment. I actually thought Essien did did well uh, in you know given that he's not playing his position, he's forced to play this. You know, he is the most defensive midfielder of the four. I thought. Well, I think he's doing, he's, doing fi- he's doing fine, but you know we certainly haven't seen the Essien this season that we know we know he's capable yeah. of. No, I, I, I agree with you earlier, but I'm saying is now that he's playing basically as the holding midfielder with Mikel out now, now that they're playing this four you know you're not going to see those those bursts forward and I thought he covered a lot of ground um, which might make up for my which might make a good transition here to transition to to City um, 
there's one thing that, and, and, and please, you know, I, I authorize you. The next time you hear somebody, um, perhaps on your television or on your radio, saying, ooh, City are playing with three defensive midfielders, um, I authorize you to take a cricket bat or a baseball bat and just break the television. And if you see a real-life ex-pro pundit say it, just go and just crack their skull open. Um, because it's just so stupid. Because Yaya Toure and... Is not he's not playing as a defensive midfielder. We can discuss whether it makes sense, but what you saw in that game yesterday was two very large men in, in Yaya Toure and, and Dzeko playing way, way up the pitch. Larger men, a larger man like Gareth Barry alongside a smaller man, De Jong back. And, and City generally, I think, you know, not being very progressive at all. But it's clearly not three defensive midfielders. Can we knock this on the head it, it once It never has been, right from the start of the season. But why do people say that? It's just because, oh, look, Yaya Toure, he's very big. He's, he must be a defensive midfielder. He's played at Barcelona. Because that's what they see. They just see, and, and the preconceived ideas. We were talking about it off air. And they see Yaya Toure, oh, you know, he's, he, that's where he played for Barcelona, holding in front of the back players, and that's what he does. I've seen games this season. He's almost been a centre-forward, or the, the second centre-forward. And I think what Mancini does, against the very, or what he considers the weakest sides, they almost play with the front four. You know, when the other teams start to attack, they leave four players upfield. When they play against the better teams, and Chelsea are one of those better teams, then he asks Yaya Toure and the two wide players just to have more of a defensive reign. They have to stop the full-backs getting forward, and Yaya Toure has to stop the holding midfield player getting on the ball. That's the difference. When they're playing against the best teams, he has those players doing defensive jobs and that's their first uh, or f- first thoughts when they're playing against the weaker sides their first thought is to run beyond them and be attacking players so that's the only change that Mancini has from one team to the next what um I, well it's interesting though on, on City with with the signings because um I mean I, I've been told I think we all have that uh, they were about to that they wanted to sign David Luiz or Mancini certainly you know had made David Luiz a uh, priority and then that was 86 by somebody upstairs um so I, I I think there's more of this to come, but uh, just to wrap up uh, uh, the city discussion, if if they win, if they finish top four and they win the FA Cup, is that the minimum result that you think Sheikh Mansour uh, and his peeps are are looking for, or will a top four finish suffice? I think we all agree that if they finish out of the top four, then he's then he's toast, right? Yeah, I think it's, I mean I think if he if they get knocked out of the, in the, of the FA Cup and scrape fourth. You know, it's 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 not a bad season, but it, I think as we put in the context of, do they, you know, of 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 direction, and you know, do they still think that you know he's got a uh, a sort of vision for where the team is going to go, and that the the players are buying into it and happily going along with him, and uh, you know, I think I think there's you know there's an awful lot of reviewing going on at the club about you know internal relationships and and just how. How much the players are buying into it, and the the vision for the team, and you know the the, the, the negativity um, of, of of Mancini, um, I think is 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 increasingly held against him within the club. You, you said it earlier, uh, Dicko. The team is very reliant on Tevez, which is a bit of a damning indictment, uh, given how much money they've spent on. Uh, so many players and uh, it's also a worry considering Tevez isn't reliant on them in the long term uh, it's uh, I suppose beating Man United in the semis of the FA Cup and then winning the FA Cup and finishing fourth would, would, would be a good season for City but it's uh, still less than they uh, should have achieved with the expenditure and the talent in the squad uh, Moving across town to, um, to Old Trafford i I got to start with the Sir Alex Ferguson suspension. I, 
I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth here, but it's obviously completely idiotic. And I, I'm not blaming Sir Alex here. I really, really blame the FA. I, it, this just makes me angry to see how you suspend somebody for five games. He rides on the bus with the team to Old Trafford. He talks to them before the game. He talks to them at halftime. He talks to them during the game on his stupid retro white phone, which I, I think they actually got this big garish phone just to rub it in the FA's uh, faces, how absolutely demented they are with their punishment. Um, so effectively, nothing's changed except for the fact that because he's suspended, he doesn't have to talk to the media, which he probably enjoys. Um, am I wrong on this, Dicko? And, 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 and can, can they not just... Get a chaperone. I mean, should 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 you just not take a suspended manager and just get a chaperone to sit with him from two hours before kickoff until the final whistle and make sure right. he has no communication? No, I mean, as you say, it's a joke. I mean, it's interesting. I didn't realise till till this weekend that there's, there's a different rule in uh, Scotland from there is in England, and obviously we know there is with uh, the UEFA um, in Scotland. It is an hour before kickoff. Um, the, you know, the, the manager can't speak to his players for an hour before kickoff, which you know makes far more sense. Um, uh, certainly than the English one. Um, uh, so you know, but although, but he can go in at half time. So you know, it's a sort of it's it's a, it's again. So there's no uniformity of it. Uh, I mean, clearly, if if it's going to be a proper punishment, the manager should be restricted from speaking to his players at all, as you say, from you know whatever it is, one o'clock till after the game. Um, uh, if it's going to have any effect whatsoever, it's it's a joke of a punishment. Um, and I have to say, just on that, I'm amazed how many sort of sane, I thought sane commentators have said in the last few days that you know Fergie's has only been punished for speaking the truth. You know, the manager, had, the referee had a stinker, therefore he's entitled to say. Uh, whatever he likes about the referee. I mean, blindly, you know, there's, people need to um, wise up to the fact that we, you know, we need to stop uh, berating referees. Uh, you know, just because they make mistakes doesn't give managers free license to blast them left, right, and centre. But anyway, that's that's a side issue. Yeah, it's a side issue. We can't reopen that debate. I, I think the the FA's general stance is that you can call the referee incompetent, um, but you can't question his integrity or or question whether whether he's fair and in their view that's what um that's what sir alex did um I, when I say, about the game itself obviously united go into it lots of absences um lots of injuries he starts with chicharito out there and then he sends on berbatov Stuart, could you talk a little bit about you know chicharito's the forum guy I, I, I just I think one of the things that makes Sir Alex great is that, ooh, I've got my form guy out there, the guy who always plays well for me. But then to be able to, 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 to look at the game and at halftime and make a change and bring on bring on Berbatov. I mean, I, that takes kind of kind of a leap of faith, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, what they've got two different uh, attributes. and, and uh, I mean, Hernandez is not very good with his back-to-goal. The more I see him, the, the worse he gets with his back-to-goal. But what he can do is run in behind the opposition. He's got plenty of pace, and he just does spread the opposition. Berbatov gives them something else, and I think they were they were crying out for something else. They were crying out for a bit more creativity in the front areas, a bit more link-up play, and Berbatov uh, brings that to, to Manchester United. Hernandez or Chikorito doesn't bring that to Manchester United. He's the player that gets on the end of things, and Wayne Rooney comes short. The trouble is when Berbatov and Rooney play together, who does make the forward runs? They both come short. That's why I think he's playing Hernandez at the moment more than anybody else. Uh, Tom, uh, um, red card, Johnny Evans on, on Stuart Holden. Um, 
he was funny because to me this is like it was actually a textbook case of I don't think Evans tried to hurt him he, he, he wasn't doing him he went for the ball it was in between there but his studs were up and that's why he had to go am I wrong? I think uh, if you look at the challenge, there's one photo where it's almost symmetrical with the two players coming in, leading with their leg. Uh, Evans slightly faster, slightly higher studs. Uh, uh, it's one of those where perhaps if they'd both been injured or, or neither been injured, then the punishment would have been the same if there was any punishment. But when the referee sees a gigantic gash in Stuart Holden's leg, uh, it's, uh, the decision is made easy for him that it was uh, was a violent challenge and a uh, serious foul play and he had to go. I think we're still seeing quite a lot of these challenges, unnecessary risky challenges, despite the law being very clear. The referee is increasingly interpreting it as a straight red card if you do lunge, uh, whether with one leg or two leg. We've seen a lot of players getting sent off for this, but a lot of players still tackling like that, even when they don't need to, as was the case uh, on Saturday. Dicko, you buying this explanation? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I, 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 I agree with you. I don't think he was going to go over the top and do it. He saw a guy coming in hard, and it was a sort of partly almost in self-protection. But it, you know, that doesn't ex- that doesn't excuse it. You you can't make challenges like that. And uh, referee was right. Totally. Um, final word on Bolton. I mean, we've given them a lot of praise uh, uh, this season, and I think rightly so. And I think for much of the game, they, you know, even before the sending off, they they really took the game to United. On the other hand, is my. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. United supporting news agent pointed out, he said, you know, ah, rubbish, Bolton. We had Carrick at center half. We have a midfield of Valencia, Giggs, and Nani. And they still couldn't beat us. And it's it's not all down to Matty Taylor, who I think can't be expected to, to head the ball well, given his position anyway. Um, is my news agent being harsh on Bolton? I think that's right. I, I saw them play at Stamford Bridge uh, last December, and they were superb. They lost 1-0 to Chelsea, but outplayed Chelsea, just couldn't quite get the goal. And they 
should have gone on to win that and I kind of formed the opinion that this was a very talented enjoyable to watch side who are uh, going to be nearly men when it comes to breaking into the uh, into the top six and, and results like this uh, not quite taking the moments you get as we saw with Taylor will prove that but also I think we need to be realistic and say that this low budget side with uh, still a relatively inexperienced up and coming manager uh, uh, probably going to be in the top eight by the end of the season and they're in the FA Cup semi-finals which, uh, which is now the focus of their season and this is a team that uh, 18 months ago two years ago was looking like it was going to get relegated under Gary Megson so they've still come a really long way uh, in a very short space of time but there probably is not much further for them to rise uh, Dicko do you do, do do you buy this or is it a case with Bolton that as Tom says you know they're focused on the FA Cup semi-finals maybe they, they didn't really need points at Old Trafford uh, I think they're I mean they've probably just yeah, as you say slightly distracted with that they've slightly hit that point in the season where they're, they're you know they're not uh, they're not on edge basically because they're, you know, they're not going to go down they're, they're, they're just I think you probably will lose something um, I mean, one point just on that game as well is just that I think someone at some stage is going to have to amount, uh, amass how many times Man United have played. You know what would be, you know, they, they created chances um, yes, uh, on Saturday, and, and Nani and Rooney uh, might have scored spectacular goals. But um, you know, it's just going to be fascinating to just to sort of count, go through the go through the season, and if if they are champions, um, and just work out how many times they've been sort of relatively below par I mean, and, and before United fans start hopping up and down you could argue that that's a compliment I mean there's no team possibly in the world that wins more games playing below par than Man United Stuart you get the final word on this and you get to answer one of my favourite questions about United this year um, is this the worst United side in a long long time possibly since was it 2002 or three? It's a side that's getting through games and, and they've got good spirit. Uh, I think it's a poor side. It doesn't it doesn't frighten you. You know, I, I, I saw Arsenal play in the FA Cup and, and Manchester United tactically got it right. They caused Arsenal, they stopped Arsenal playing. But you never at any point thought that Manchester United were going to tear Arsenal apart as they have done in previous encounters. And I can't see at the moment where Manchester United are going to tear teams apart. I think by having Nani uh, fully fit and having Valencia, a, a fit Valencia, they will start to come to the fore uh, towards the end of the season and they start to get crossed into the box and I think they're key players for Manchester United if they can play well Manchester United have got every chance of winning the Premier League and I tell you what as I've said many times if they win the Premier League this year with this team I think this could be Sir Alex's greatest achievement mm. since, since and Aberdeen and with all the injuries as well and with all, with all the injuries and the Rooney situation and so on OK who's up for some debating in our debate today, we're looking at the Champions League uh, quarterfinal draw. Um, three English clubs in it, uh, which you can take to say that, ah, oh, yes, the Premier League's still the greatest league in the world. Or you could chuck in the Europa League, UEFA certainly do, and point out that there are as many English sides in uh, left in European competition as there are Portuguese sides. But uh, given there's only one Italian side and it's not very Italian, I'm just going to shut up about this and not not belabor the point here. Um, let's start uh, with uh, Real Madrid and Spurs. Um, Real Madrid currently second in uh, in La Liga. Spurs currently fifth in the Premier League. Um, Dick, I want to start with you. I, uh, the fact that, that that Tottenham got this far after. You know, beating um, Inter Milan, beating uh, beating AC Milan in, in, in the in the last round, um, 
the one thing you can't say about Spurs is that they've had an easy draw, and uh, it isn't getting it isn't getting any easier, is it? It isn't. I mean, I think the part of what's impressed about Tottenham is is that they've sort of got here winning all, all sorts of ways. I mean, they've you know they've had sort of cavalier. Um, they were pretty sort of much backs to the wall and actually outplayed um, by AC Milan in 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 that last game at, at, at home. But but you know but got through um, you know with a bit of durability. So you know they've. They sort of, um, you know, won won always and showed a lot of qualities. But I have to say, you, you have to expect that um, you know, they've they've come up against something that's just too tough for them now. I think uh, um, Madrid. Have, have, I mean, they're clearly fretting on whether Ronaldo is going to be fit. Um, um, oh come on! You really think he's really injured? Uh, okay, all right. Then he gets hurt fretting. before the international break. They're not fretting. He's faking, and he's going to be fine. But no, I mean, I, I, I suspect I suspect he will be fine, and I suspect that um, Madrid will uh, overpower them. I just think with 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 Ozil, um, with Ronaldo, um, Di Maria, Benzema, uh, and Jose's structure, he's got them playing, um, you know, a very sort of fixed, typically Jose way, and he's got them working their socks off. Um, so no, I, I, I think Tottenham are going to going to uh, finally run out of steam I'm afraid it was interesting Real Madrid uh, at the weekend in, in, against Atletico um, to say drops Di Maria and, uh, and and plays three holding midfielders um, and, and and it works for him I mean three real holding midfielders and not like Chab- Man City ones no, no it's Xabi Alonso uh, uh, Lasana Diara and, uh, and and Sammy Kadira but hey it worked and of course he's got the uh, uber attacking fullbacks uh, anybody want to make the case that Spurs can win this and maybe outline what Spurs need to do to Ooh. Knock out Real Madrid over two legs. Well, it, uh, Alonso, you just mentioned as a as a holding midfield player. I think he's a wonderful passer of the ball, but I think you can run off the back. I think if if Tottenham target him to run off the back of him and keep uh, you know joining the front players from there, I think he's a weakness defensively. I really do, Alonso. So you take Van der Vaart around Alonso he, and try to see Van der Vaart. Yeah, but Van der Vaart's got to play. He's very and he's got to be athletic enough. That's the problem with Van der Vaart at times. He's not very athletic. Yeah. And he's not the sort of player that can go past Alonso. You know, there may be. An, if, if, if they, when he's on the and when Tottenham are playing on the counter attack, if they get somebody like Lennon coming in off the off the outside and playing in behind Alonso or around Alonso and then running with the ball as they did against AC Milan in the away leg on, on the counter attack, that could cause problems. And I'm not sure that this is the best centre back partnership or best back four that Mourinho's worked with. I don't think Real Madrid are quite as solid defensively as Jose Mourinho teams have been wherever else he's, he's gone. Uh, Inter Milan against uh, uh, against Schalke now. Um, Inter, I think anybody who's followed this competition even a little bit under Leonardo will know that a lot of those old stereotypes are out. This is a team that just goes out there to to attack constantly. Uh, now that Benitez is gone and uh, uh, and suffers sometimes defensively. In fact, suffers often defensively as a result. Uh, um, but they're up against uh, a Schalke team who sacked their manager. Um, Felix Magath, uh, a Schalke team who could be sucked into the relegation battle in Germany. Um, and you kind of feel are are here almost by accident, although we do have this wonderfully romantic tale of, uh, of Raul um, it, you know, leading them out. And then you've got the likes of Huntelaar, who's, uh, who's injured, and, and Jefferson Farfan and, and, and whatnot. Um, 
Stuart, thoughts on uh, um, thoughts on this? I mean, on paper, it looks all Inter, doesn't it? It does. I've seen Inter play a lot recently, and Eto looks to be back to somewhere near his best. You and know, Milito could be back. Milito well. could be back, who hasn't been playing too much. Um, Mikeon, if, he, if he's fit, racing down that right hand side. But the key player for me right. is Schneider. When Schneider plays well and starts finding little sp- bits of pockets of space in between the midfield and the front players, he's the one that opens up defences. You know, he can run with the ball, he can get long range shots, so people have to close him down. Then he can find the runs of Eto. I think uh, Inter Milan look a really good side at the moment, and I think they're going to go on and, and get, obviously go into the next round, but I think they're also going to win the uh, Serie A. Mm. Dicko? Uh, I'd go with Inter Milan definitely to go through the next round. Um, uh, so, yeah, no, no, I don't, no, no disputing from me there. We're guaranteed uh, one um, semi-finalist from the Premier League because uh, Chelsea play Manchester United. Uh, Dicko, we're going to... We're going to see this clash uh, three times between now and uh, the end of the season because, of course, they've got a a meeting at Old Trafford uh, in the league as well. Um, How does the dynamic change when you know you're playing home and away one week apart against another Premier League opponent? Um, I I think I think it will on this. I mean, I think it will be um, it it will be very, 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 very tight. Um, My money's on on Chelsea actually in this. I just think. I really do. I mean, having said praise United um, not three minutes ago for sort of finding a way to win, um, I just do worry that they're you know they're chopping and changing this defence all the time. And I mean, I thought um, against Marseille, um, that, you know, the, the uncertainty from having Brown and Smalling together, and then you bring in Evans, who's been sent off. Um, chop and change, chop and change, um, and even if I mean clearly, if you get Vidic back and just playing regularly, it's going to be huge help. But I, I just, I think, I think it's going to um, catch. This is going to catch up with them, and and I, I think if I was a Chelsea fan, I would be feeling, um, you know, I think the league, the Premier League, is still is, is still very much an outsider. Um, I'm not sure Chelsea have you know shown enough consistency to show that they can really grind down Man United by winning. You know they're gonna to have to win, win, you know, win six on the spin probably. But I think in uh, two legs in this Champions League, I really think they can put United under pressure. And I, um, I, I, th- I think they need to play with real boldness about them, um, as they did in the second half in the, the recent Premiership game. They went at United, overran Carrick and Scholes, and uh, put United to the sword. And I, I think if they're bold and and, and vigorous, uh, as as Chelsea are at their best, and then they can win this. Stuart. I fully agree. I think Chelsea will win the game. You can change your team round all the time. You can have you know, your rotation. But if you have to keep changing your centre-halves and you keep having to change your full-backs, that's the area where you need to be solid. And I don't think Manchester United at the moment against the very best teams are going to be solid in that area because they have to keep changing the players. They have to, they have to try and work together. And I don't think the players coming in are good enough. Tom, are you going to be a, a voice out of the choir here? No, I've got to agree. I think Chelsea will uh, will edge it. Uh, it may be something, uh, one goal in it or away goals, but uh, 90th minute winner from Torres off his backside. I think <laughs> you can start uh, mending the bridges that he burnt with Liverpool by uh, knocking out Man United. Remember, no David Luiz in this game. I don't know. Maybe you guys are giving uh, United short shrift. Alex uh, hopefully will be back though. Um, this is true, but like I said, Alex is not David Luiz. Barcelona and Shakhtar Donetsk. Um, now, Shakhtar Donetsk have 
they, I think they're quietly building up a little bit of cred among the uh, pretentious Eurocognoscenti types like myself, um, largely because Mircea Luchescu is such a great story and because they, Luchescu has this uh, absurd home unbeaten streak of like 57, 58 games. Um, I think we all agree that Barcelona are the best team in the world, and if you don't agree, then men in white coats are coming. But um, do we give Shakhtar a, pl- a prayer, uh, Stuart? Uh, not much of a prayer. I've seen Shakhtar play a lot this season. They're much better now than they were early in the season. I saw them come to the Emirates. Uh, I saw them play against Braga a couple of times. And they're just starting to get that little bit of creativity, a bit of explosion around the top third of the field with uh, Willian and Eduardo's playing much better now. Adriano's a decent player. They play with Jadson just behind the, the main striker when he's fully fit. So uh, they can cause problems, but I don't think they're good enough defensively to stop Barcelona winning over the two legs. Just can't see it. Um, uh, Dicko, what's your take on this? Because I, and I know you shouldn't be comparing, but Barcelona, you know, you've got... Abidal with his tumor is going to be out. Puyol now, I think, has become like sort of a, a Catalan obsession where they keep saying, oh, it's just another week, just another week. I mean, the, the, the possibility that, you know, they get one more uh, injury, that they're going to they're going to face Shakhtar with, uh, with 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 Fontas or Bartra at the back. And if you've never heard of these people, I, I don't blame you. Um should they be? Should they be a little bit, a little bit concerned? I mean, if, you know, they only beat Hitafa two one at the weekend, um, and surely Hitafa are not better than Shakhtar Donetsk, are they? Well, I mean, you know, again, right to point to the defence and, and the fact that I mean, certainly that's where the resources are uh, at their sort of sparsest. Um, and is it true? Some of the, I think it's about sixty percent of the goals they've conceded this year have come from set plays. Somebody told me. I was not aware of that stat, but it uh, it certainly is certainly is plausible because they're not they aren't particularly big. They're not particularly good at defending set plays. What do Shakhtar need to do to win? What needs to happen? What magical confluence of events? If they can uh, get back to get back to Ukraine with uh, only a one goal deficit, especially if that is an away goal and they lose, say, how do they two, keep it to that one goal deficit? One. Though that's yeah. the question. If they could lose two one, perhaps Barcelona are not on their game. The way Katafa did this weekend, take take a two goal lead and then maybe Shakhtar get a late goal, a bit of slack defending from a set piece, two one back in the Ukraine, then it gets interesting. Okay, so the general consensus here um, seems to me that uh, we're going to be getting Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Inter versus Chelsea in the semi-finals and you're all nodding along so I'm guessing everybody uh, agrees with that remember you can uh, email us at gamepodcast at timesonline.co.uk and tell us all how stupid Dicko and Stuart and Tom were for getting their predictions all wrong in a couple weeks time but oh you can also uh, email in to praise them for getting them all right if you want to be classy about it time now for some quick hits Arsenal nearly said goodbye to the title on Saturday, going two goals down at West Brom before storming back to draw 2-2. Stewart, I know there were absences, but uh, still, it's West Brom, it's Hodgson. Can you explain this mess without blaming everything on Almunia and Jens Lehmann's menacing presence? Well, the first goal came about because Arsenal were man-marking and their three best headers, they only had three good headers of the ball, were taken away from the danger area by um, the Olsen, Maite and Shana, and it left the fourth, what Arsenal must have considered the fourth best header of the ball, Aaron Ramsey, up against Stephen Reid, eight yards out, and there was only going to be one winner, and that was Stephen Reid, that was the first goal, Arsenal didn't play with fluency, and then, later on in the game, they had three attacker players that could all head the ball, and that was when it started to change for Arsenal. 
Yes, West Brom Hutch now going for people who, who can actually head the ball. Plenty of stories in the Sunday newspapers about how Rio Ferdinand feels snubbed and is offended by the fact that Capello did not tell him the captaincy was going back to John Terry. Dico, I, I don't understand all this. Rio was told that Capello was going to speak to him ahead of the Marseille game, correct? And then at the game, they were a few paces away from each other, correct? Why didn't they just speak to each other? Uh, well, Rio, last week Rio sulked and, and avoided the director's box before the game so that um, they wouldn't bump into each other and couldn't have this, this conversation. It's almost a conversation neither wants. Um, Capello almost thinks, well, what, you know, you know, he, he knows the score now. Why, why do I need to bother speaking to him? And Rio doesn't want to have it because he's, he's, he's annoyed. Um, ah, I have a bit of sympathy with him, but... Um, it's pretty depressing, isn't it? England, uh, England, and we're reduced to talking about possibly the least important issue of all. Well, that's just that. But I wonder if Rio thinks that until he hears it from Capello, he's still the England captain. <laughs> Spurs are held at home by West Ham in a game in which they dominate but fail to score. Uh, Tom, they have a brutal run-in, which includes City, Chelsea, and Liverpool away, and Arsenal at home. And, of course, they've got the Champions League to worry about. Is there a best chance of being uh, in it next year just to go and win the darn thing? No, I don't think so. I think uh, with City looking uh, indifferent, they could still finish above City, and they should look at these uh, runs against the teams uh, who are immediately around them as uh, an opportunity to uh, really gain ground on their rivals and... uh, prove that they are good enough and uh, they will only be in the Champions League for two more games as we have uh, officially (laughs) officially decided so uh, they'll be out by mid-April problem is that uh, unless Van der Vaart's carrying the attack the uh, strikers are just not scoring enough goals so you know we need to see Jermaine Defoe's t-shirt quickly Jermaine Defoe, interesting there. Anti-Hulier banners uh, were out in force at Villa Park as the home side fell to Wolves 1-0. The relegation zone is getting uncomfortably close. Uh, Stuart, uh, can we say it now that Jed was a poor appointment? It looks like it, doesn't it? Uh, um, he's changed the team. Uh, of course, they've lost a couple of players. The young players aren't as good as many people thought they were. But I think he, he seems to have alienated some of the senior players. And, and the fans. And the fans. And that's the one thing you can't do. And by taking a weakened team to an FA Cup game against Man City, that was almost the end for him. Gab, one for you. I note that Balotelli has not been called up for Italy. Why? Well, it's not just him. Tom. It's also uh, uh, Daniele De Rossi as well. It's part of this uh, new policy that uh, Cesare Prandelli, the Italy manager and uber ethicist, uh, has has implemented, whereby his argument is that if you misbehave at club level, perhaps by getting yourself stupidly sent off the way Balotelli did, or by uh, smashing a forearm in an opponent's face and getting away with it because the referee is Howard Webb and he doesn't want to spoil the game the way Daniele De Rossi did, uh, you're not fit to represent your country. Um, We'll see how long it it lasts. It's only... um, you know, Slovakia. Uh, it's only Slovenia away uh, uh, for Italy, but um, we'll see if he's got the guts to go and do it um, with, with a crucial qualifier comes up. Thanks for joining us. You can go to www.thetimes.co.uk for all your news, your gossip, your analysis, and of course our web chats. Mine is on Monday, and you can read my blog on on Wednesdays, and there's lots of goodies on there. You can also follow us on Twitter. Patty Barkley's on there. Dicko's on there. Uh, Ollie Kay's on there. Uh, Tom, are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. You, you don't follow me. Oh. I wanted to give you a chance to speak. It was the only logical way I could do it. But, of course, Tom is on Twitter as well. So thanks for taking the time to join us. Till next week, bye-bye. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, 
is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.